Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Money Awakenings. My name is Larry Morris, and I am your host, your DJ, your guide, these vast realities. <clears throat> I am the alchemist because I help things go from little value to the highest value. See, that's what alchemy really is. It's just taking something of little value and turning it into the highest value. Lead into gold is just metaphorical. (sighs) But how do things have value? That is the question. How do we value things? All value is subjective. It's all opinion-based. All value is subjective. Unless you're at the highest frequency and the highest perception, and you see that all value is immeasurable. But here in the game, all, all value is subjective. All of it is opinion. All of it is agreement-based. Two people come in to agree on what value is, and if there's no agreement, there's no exchange of anything, of energies. Without the agreement of value, there's no exchange of energies. If you were shopping for a loaf of bread and got to the, and you saw that it was marked for $3, and you're like, okay, I agree with that value. Then you get to the register, and it's like, actually, there's a bread shortage right now, and we're going to mark this up to uh, $50 a, a loaf. You'd be like, nope, I disagree. Uh, you can take that fucker back, right? All value is opinion-based, and before there's an exchange of energy, there must be an agreement on the value of something. <clears throat> now, what you notice is, I, in that scenario, I use the shortage angle to raise the value. <clears throat> so, what that means is certain things are based completely in scarcity. The, or, I'm sorry, certain things' value is derived from scarcity. Commodities are a great example of this. Commodities like gold, like oil, like wheat, grain, even water to an extent. And leave water out of it. Grain, you know, things like that. Frozen frozen concentrated orange juice. You know, these are all commodities. And they derive value in the minds of people. They derive value in the minds of people based on scarcity. If you were camping next to a river 
that was fresh, clean, natural water that you could drink, no problem. Uh, or, you know, if you want to get real technical and you had to do some, a little bit of boiling or a little bit of filtering, you know, that's one thing. But let's just say it's a, it's a clean mountain stream, super ready to drink, right? And you're sitting right next to it. Someone couldn't charge you. Like, someone came up and was like, I will charge you a dollar for a cup of that water. And you're like, I'm right next to the river. I can go get it for myself. Why would I give you a dollar? There's no agreement of value there. Because there's zero scarcity. It's like, no, I can, <laughs> I can go grab water. I'm, I'm literally a step, you know, two steps away from it. Why would I need to pay you that? But now, think about being on a hike. Like your base camp is at the river, but you're on a hike up in the mountain where there is no river. And you're on this, you've been hiking all day, and you're on this high peak. And then let's just say there's a Sherpa up there that's like $10 for a, bo- you know, of a bottle of that spring water, and you forgot yours. You're going to be like, okay, now I see the value. I don't have, I forgot my canteen and my camelback or whatever. I'm thirsty as all hell. I've just hiked this mountain. I'm not close to the source. I'm not close to the, the, the water. So therefore, it, its value is higher to me. So therefore, I agree. I need, I need that. I'll pay you whatever it is. That value on commodities is based on scarcity. Scarcity, not only based on rarity, but closeness or supply and demand, like closeness of the river. How much do we have? How easy is it to get to? Ease and difficulty drive value as well. In the minds of people. Remember, all value in this game is subjective. It's all opinion-based. So that means all of it is derived in the imagination, essentially. It's all perception-based. I mean, without getting too technical, all I'm saying is it's always in your imagination what what the value of something is. Which means someone can manipulate the value of something not by changing the scarcity, even though that's an easy one to do, but by convincing people that it has value in their minds. That's what marketing is. (laughs) Is convincing people that this thing has value. Sales is more the communication with an individual person. Marketing is to the masses, right? Marketing is, at its core, marketing is simply communicating on a mass level the benefits of your product or service. But what most people are doing with marketing is not that. They're trying to convince people of the value they've set, the price they've set for the value they have. 
for their product or service. Subtle but important difference. Because a lot of people, a lot of marketing preys on manipulation. You know. A lot of them prey on manipulation. A lot of them prey on fear. A lot of them play on comparing themselves to their competition. I was just watching a uh, show, an ad for a bank, and they're like, oh, we're better, you know, our fees are better than our competitors, and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, <laughs> that's how you're deriving value is comparing yourself to someone else? So that in the minds of the person who's watching this, they're, you're, you're trying to get them to subconsciously compare. Like, oh, I don't like that my bank has this many fees, even though no one really fucking pays attention unless they're anal as fuck. But... <clears throat> Like, does, does anybody know how much fees, how many fees you paid in a year to your bank? No, I didn't think so. So it's not, how, how important is it really? Unless you're one of those people that's just like, well, that's just the way it is. Which I am kind of like that. I more, like come, more or less come from abundance. Like, yeah, okay, this is what it is. It costs fees. There's an infinite supply of money, so it's not a big deal. But, um, where was I? <laughs> oh, they were deriving value in the minds. They were implanting the suggestion in the minds of the people who were watching that, that their bank was better based solely on doing something different than their competition. Basically saying, we're better than what you have now, so you should upgrade and evolve. But those were... Yeah. Anyway. So you could derive... They were implanting the idea of better value through competition. All value is subjective. All value is opinion-based. So that means all value rests solely in the imagination. And all you have to do is get someone to agree with you and they'll buy your product or service you know if they're in the market for it which is a whole other thing so always remember commodities derive value from scarcity commodities like gold diamonds wheat grain they always derive value from scarcity and ease of which to get things. It's not easy for me to go make my own grain and make my own bread. You see what I'm saying? So it's <clears throat> obviously easier for me to pay the baker who's gone through all this with the farmer and all that other stuff, right? So ease is important when it comes to commodities as well. Just like I said about the water and the river, 
like it's super easy to go to the river and grab some water when you're right next to it. The more difficulty there is, the more value in the minds of the people who want it. So commodities are based on scarcity and ease. I'm sorry, the value uh, implanted in the minds of people around commodities is based on scarcity and, and ease. So now let's talk about products. You, I call them utility products, like a toaster, a coffee maker, something like that, something that's on your kitchen counter, right? A knife set or whatever, toaster oven. These are utility products. They make your life simpler, right? So how are their, is their value defined by scarcity? No, typically not, unless there's some kind of pandemic where we can't get new ones or something. Typically, no. The um, utility products like this are not valued based on scarcity. But they are similar to commodities and about the ease. Most utility products are valued or priced, we're just going to say valued, are valued a little above what it costs to make the thing. So when you build a utility product, let's say it's a coffee maker, right? The only way it makes sense to keep, to stay competitive is to build like a massive factory to lower costs per product, per unit, right? You buy in bulk, you lower the cost. You build in bulk, you lower the cost. So, Utility products like this, what you try to do is you get the cost down as low as possible for something that's quality, uh, ideally. <laughs> you get the cost down as low as possible to get it to the consumer with a profit to keep going. Now, how much profit is up to the company and up with all that stuff? But, and how much their cost is and are they going for luxury, whatever. But typically with a cop, you know, again, there's high end and low end and all that stuff. I'm not going to get into that. But I'm typically saying with utility products, it's usually cost plus profit. And most people derive value in their imagination from the fact that they can't go build a fucking coffee maker. Right? And that it's just easier to use. It's a utility product. So most people set the price of a utility product, not based on scarcity, but based on cost plus profit. Now, if you disagree with how much profit the company is asking for, based on their cost, most people don't even know how, when they look at a price tag for a coffee maker, toaster, whatever, toaster oven, whatever, they don't know how much it costs to build it and how much the profit is. It's not on the label. So... They just look at how, do I need the high end? Do I need the low end? Do I need the mid range? Do I need the thing altogether? <clears throat> and then, how valuable is it to me? Right? And if I agree with the price that they've set for this thing, then I'll buy it. So utility products, for the most part 
are valued in the minds of people based on cost plus profit. And a little bit of, obviously I can't build my own toaster oven, you know, most people can't. So um, there's a little bit of that too. Okay, so when, just pay attention to the next time you go to buy a utility product like that, like your coffee breaker makes, breaks down or whatever, you're moving to a new place and you need to get like an, an air fryer or something. T pay attention to how you value when you look at what you're looking at. Are you, are you like, oh, I like the look of this one for the countertop. I like the functionality. You know, are you, are you comparing features? Are you comparing price and why? How? It's not that there's any wrong way to do it at all. Please don't approach it like that. It's just an awareness game of like, okay, there's four air fryers here. I want an air fryer. I've already committed to buying an air fryer. How am I deriving the value? The high end is $10 more than the low end or $20 more than the low end. So is that $20 of difference worth it? Like just, just, just become aware of how you're choosing. That's all I'm saying. Because most people do this without thinking about it too, too much. <clears throat> and it's always indicative of like, how they're going to feel when they get home. If they bought the low end, they try to convince themselves that they don't need luxury for so, like something that they barely use. And so ideally, when people buy the low end of things, they, see, they, they get happy from the frugality of saving money on a thing. Right? Like, ooh, I got that same toaster oven for half the price at TJ Maxx or whatever. You know how those commercials used to be like, oh, I got the same dress or I got the same thing at Ross for Less or whatever. So a lot of people, when they buy the low end of products, especially utility products, they get happiness based on the frugality of the savings. People in the high end, they get to see their utility product when they, when they buy luxury and feel abundant because they bought the luxury. You see this a lot with sneakers today. A lot of young people and, um, well, a lot of people in general, but a lot of young people are buying really, really nice, expensive shoes and having like a, a lot of them to choose from because they feel abundant with a new pair of sneakers on. They feel rich, if you will. They feel wealthy. They feel... Like, everything's okay when they have a brand new pair of sneakers on. And this is the same thing as buying a high-end luxury utility product. Like, every time you see it, every time you use it, you're like, yeah, I deserve luxury. Right? Which makes you feel better. And then people in the mid-range um, typically see themselves as average, middle people. You know, they're not the type to swing for the fences, but they've gone far enough to where they don't have to look at frugality for everything. They're not broke. So they are just instinctually not by the lowest, cheapest model. So they can just be like, no, 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 I've, <laughs> I've come far. I've worked my ass off for 20, 30 years. I don't need to buy the low-end model. But I'm not wealthy, so I'm not going to buy the high-end model. They've kind of, in their imagination, pigeonholed themselves. Okay. 
So that's a utility product. <clears throat> what else? What else do we value? What else do we value? Futures. <clears throat> Let me tell you what a future is. Any product, investment, or whatever that is solely derived value is based on what it could be in the future. So stocks, let's just, this is going to be the main example I use, right? <clears throat> how is a stock, how is the value of a stock derived? Think about it for a second. Well, let's start, let's take a step back. Why do you buy, why, why would you invest in a stock? The, there's only one reason to invest in a stock at all. Well, actually, I guess there's two. It's like the main reason and then like the, the little baby stepbrother reason that some people try to lean on to feel better about themselves. But the main reason to invest in any stock is to make money. Is to make your money grow, right? If I invest $100 into Google today and 10 years from now it's worth $1,000, that money has grown, right? It's 900 extra dollars. And we're not going to get into the value of 10 years and all that shit, which you could do. I'm not gonna go, I've gone down that road so many times. Just for today, we're just looking at value, right? Okay, so, so the whole point of investing in a stock is to make money or make money grow. The little baby one that I was saying, the other little baby reason that some people try to use is they want to see that company flourish. But not many people invest in a company thinking that they're never going to get that money back. And they just want to see the... Like, I just love Google so much that even if they fail, I want to say I helped. Like, no, not, there are some people that do that. But rarely. But rarely. Most people invest in stocks <clears throat> because they want to see their money grow. All stocks are based on future value. Now, you buy in today's prices, but you're hoping the value goes up in the future. That's why we call it a future. Like, a, like a, when they say derivatives and futures and Forex and all that shit, that's what they're talking about, the future value of something. So, what does that mean? Does anybody know the future? Does there, is there one living soul that for sure 100% knows the future? Absolutely not. The future is always a fantasy. So what does that mean? How is value derived for something that's in the future? Only solely in the minds of the people. All value of stock is based solely in the imagination. All stock value is based solely in the imagination. Think about it. Where is the future? In the imagination. So basically, what all companies on the stock exchange do is convince investors that they're going to be more valuable in the future. And when someone agrees, they buy the stock. It's all solely based in the imagination. It's all solely based in the imagination. So someone gets this idea in their head 
that they want more money in their future. And then you got people, you got companies all over the globe saying, yeah, come give me that money, I'll give you more in the future. Because my company is going to be better in the future. But that conversation that just says, give me your money because my company is going to be better in the future, is the only thing that's real. Someone convincing someone else that the price that they have set today is a, you know, is a steal based on the future that they're painting in your imagination. Every stock report is a lie. How's that? When it's talking about the future. Not based on the past and metrics and shit. I'm talking about every company that gets up on the podium, if you will, and says, even though our, you know, we've been down, profits been down the last three quarters, we expect it to rise based on this, this, and this. That is all a lie. Because no one knows the fucking future. So if you're talking about the future, you're fucking lying. Because you don't know what's going to happen. So to say this is what's going to happen in the future is a lie. If it happens, you got fucking lucky. You bet on black. Right? You gambled and won. Because no one knows the future, all stock is, is gambling. All stock investing is gambling. There's no way around it. Because no one knows the fucking future. The same in a casino. Why do you think, I mean, well, let's not go down that road. Anyway, all stock investing is gambling because no one knows the future. Everybody who's talking about what the value of their company's stock is going to be in the future is fucking lying. They might get lucky and be right, but most of the time, it's not what they predict. A lot of the time, I can't say most, a lot of the time is not what they predict. At least 50-50. At least 50-50. It's not what they predict. Well, think about it. Our stock, our com- every company thinks they're going to do better in the future. No company sees pitfalls company, coming, blind, or I should say blind spots coming, because they're blind spots. Right? So, every company wants to succeed. They want that rosy colored picture to be true, but they don't know that that's going to happen. There's only three things that can happen. Up, down, or sideways. Right? Up, down, or sideways. So the value of the company could go up or the stock could go up. The value of the company could go down or it could stay the same. It's a little less than 50-50 because what if you got on there on the podium, proverbial podium, and said to investors, you know, we project the stock price and the value to be double of what you buy in five years. And five years' time comes and it's the exact same. That's a possibility too. So it's not just it could go up or down. 
It could be the exact fucking same and basically you wasted that time and money. So it's very generous of me to say 50-50 of the time it's a fucking lie. It'd actually be more like a third. Up, down, or sideways, right? What does that mean, Larry? It means if you're investing in stocks, you're investing in a future, which is a fantasy. It means you're lying to yourself. To some degree. Because you don't know the future. You're definitely gambling. Without question. It's 100% gambling. Well, Larry, how am I supposed to look at the value of a stock? You look at the value of a stock very, very simply. Does my heart want to invest in this thing? Does it ignite my heart to put money here? Which is my energy. Does it ignite my heart to put money here or not? If I lose the money I invest, am I going to be okay or not? This is why it's so funny that people put their life savings in the market. Might as well put their life savings in the casino. It's the same fucking thing. Oh, there's more or less risk. Fuck off. A big enough crash, even the lowest risk things are going to be at, at risk, <laughs> ironically. So, all future is gambling, and the value is solely in the imagination of the people. And that's what the stock exchange does, is they go out and lie. Because it's the future, how the fuck do you know what's going to happen? If I was to say, next year aliens are going to come down and give us benevolent artificial intelligence that's going to change the world. That's a fucking lie. Because it's the future. Not because I'm lying, but because it's the future. So I don't actually know that that's what's going to happen. So me saying that as a prediction is a complete gamble. And me betting on that like that's what's going to happen is an even bigger gamble. Because how do I know what's going to happen? Even if I channeled that directly from source, I wouldn't I I might act as if, but I not I wouldn't bet on it. I wouldn't attach to it as truth. It's a gamble. All right, I think I made my point there. Stocks are derived from, like the value of a stock in a company is derived solely in how it is perceived by the investor. It's basically, if you have a really good fucking salesman, if you have a really good marketing division, that is where the value of your stock is because it's in the, solely in the minds and the imagination of the people. Derived on a gamble and a lie based on the future. 
That's why this current economy will keep failing over and over again. Because you're gambling. You're incentivizing companies to lie to the people. Because if it's all based on perception and someone got up there and told the truth, yeah, we're having a really tough time getting out of this, you know, downward spiral. If the company come up and say that, like, well, we're having a really tough time, people would bail and sell the stock and the fucking company would plummet. You're incentivizing people to lie. Why do you think the government and the economists get up and lie all the way from D.C. about how great the economy is? Because if they told the truth, it would fall apart. Because it's all based on perception in the minds of the people. All right. <sighs> Let's move on to something else. How do you derive value in the minds of someone for land? Land is a, a unique one. <clears throat> so how does someone set the price for land? Knowing that all value is opinion-based. All value is subjective. So how do you set the price for land? Well, it's not technically supply and demand. Though there, that does play a factor. Because they're not making any more land. <laughs> but the demand for land is going to be close to things that people want or need. So land is always about location and demand for said location and also the utility of the land. So <clears throat> let's just start with, there's two things that kind of combine to value land. The where it is, which is the demand. If I have land bought on Waikiki Beach in Hawaii, that is some of the most valuable land because it's in such high demand. So many people want to be there. They vacation there, right? As if there's not a pandemic. They, can't, they you know, spend a lot of money to get there. That land is super valuable because people want to be there. Where land in the Death Valley desert of California where it's some of the hottest temperatures in the world in the summer and nothing really can survive without air conditioning that land is not as valuable because it's not in demand people don't want to be there people don't want to live there you can't farm there you can't do anything you can't thrive there So the land is less valuable because it's less conducive to thriving for humans. Plus, I guess, and the utility of the land. When I say utility of the land, I mean like, can it be farmed? Is there a waterway on the land? A river of some sort, a creek, a stream? Is there natural forest? What is the utility? Can it be used for, like Waikiki Beach, can it be used for a hotel? 
Can it be used for a mountain getaway? Can it be used for farming? What is the utility is what it can be used for. So it's not only location, it's utility. Right? If I buy land in a residential area, thinking that I'm going to put a, um, a quickie mart in there for the residents to be able to walk to to gra- grab a snack or a drink or something, easier than going to the grocery store. But, but I don't have the utility for that, meaning I don't have the zoning, like the laws won't let me put that there. Now the utility value has plummeted. So the, the value of the land is different. You see, it's location and utility. That's how you derive land. So if you were going to go buy land somewhere, you would have to think, how far is it away from a city, from services, from, you know, power, from, you know, Wi-Fi? Unless you're creating like a, a campsite Airbnb getaway from all that stuff, you know. But mostly, like, you have to see how close are you to everything that's in demand. Jobs. How close are you to services? How close are you to restaurants? How close are you to food, to grocery stores, to gasoline? Like, how close and far you are to all those things makes a difference. Right? The reason the Las Vegas Strip is the most valuable real estate in the world is because that money, that that land makes money. So its utility is super high. But if I put a casino in Death Valley Desert, no one would come. I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I assume no one, I don't know. People do love to gamble. So, the utility isn't the same, is my point. So, just remember, land is valued on utility and location what it can be used for and where it is in demand, in the demand of the human species. Okay. Now let's talk about real estate, which is different from land. Real estate is unique because it's land plus utility product. Remember I said utility product was those things that are built in factories like a coffee maker or a toaster oven that are based solely on cost plus profit and a little bit of the ease of doing it yourself. Well, imagine that land and that were combined. That's what real estate, how people derive value from real estate. All value is subjective. All value is opinion-based. It's all based on agreement, right? So check this out. We're going to step it up. So now you have a home builder who buys land for the utility of it and the location, right? Uh, so if you're going to build a housing development, you want to do it not right in the center of town where it's heavy, he- excuse me, heavily trafficked. Typically on the outskirts or one of the concentrating rings from the center of town. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Like, let's say the center of town is Main Street, USA, right? 
and there's concentric circles going outward, you're going to be one of the very middle to outer rings where you want to put a suburb so that it's close but far enough away to have peace and quiet. <clears throat> so you got to find the land, the, the, and then that, that fits that. And then you got to build a utility product on it. So you have the location of the land, the utility of how you're going to use it, then you have the, you're going to put a utility product on it, which is, let's be honest, most people can't build their own home. 99% of people can't build their own home. So you got to take that into account. Like, well, I can't build my own, so what am I forced to do? I'm forced to buy some, uh, from, one from a home builder. So you got that, they got that. But then it's cost plus profit. However, when it comes to real estate, the profit is so much more than the cost. Typically, let's say the, let's say the average 3-2 home, I'm in Colorado, so I'm just going to use Colorado right now. The average 3-2 home in Colorado costs roughly $100,000 to build, and that includes the land. Now, see, the land is parceled, so you can buy a big chunk just like you would at a factory for buying, you know, let's say the cost of wiring a toaster oven. You buy wiring in bulk, the cost goes down per unit. Well, you buy land in bulk for houses and then parcel it, the cost goes down per unit. Same idea, right? Okay. So with real estate... Let's say the cost to build it, including the land, is 100000 Well, their value, they'll price the, 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 the finished home on the parcel of land for four hundred dollars to $500,000. So their profit is an extreme profit margin with home building. Because it's not a true utility product. A true utility product, like a coffee maker, like a toaster oven, is cost plus profit. And that's how, they, that's how they set the price. But with a real estate, it's land plus utility product. Cost isn't how they set the value, it's what every, anybody will pay for it. It's the true demand for it. So a home builder does not look at, obviously they look at the cost of building, obviously. But they don't look at cost plus profit to set the home price. They look at cost plus where is everybody's demand? Where's the demand for this product? How much can I get that's what they ask themselves. They don't say, okay, I built it for 100 grand, so a good profit per house is 50 grand, and that helps me stay competitive. No, 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 no. They look at how the demand is, how, how much will people pay? And here's another interesting thing that you probably don't know. You might know this. All the home builders know each other. There's a home builder association of America. 
which means all these motherfuckers talk. They know that they derive, they have way, they get way more profit and derive more value from weakening the supply and increasing the demand. You saw this during the housing market crash of 08. All these foreclosures on all these shit bank loans. But what the banks did was they didn't just put them all on the market tomorrow because that would have plummeted the value of all of them. They housed them on the books. They didn't sell them. They just sat on them and, and sold them one little tiny bit at a time so that the scarcity, the demand would stay high so that the value would stay high, the price would stay high. This is what all home builders do. They make sure not to have too much supply so that they can keep making obscene profits. Nothing wrong with profit, but as a utility product like a home, you're not treating it like a coffee maker. Where you know the average person can't build their own home, so you build it and make a little profit so the whole human society thrives. No, 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 no. They see that they make the most profit when there's the highest demand, so they make sure to keep that demand in place as best they can without, you know, home builders can't control like mortgage rates and shit like that and lending. But they do have a damn bit, they do have a huge say in, in that. They definitely have a vote at the table when it comes to interest rates and stuff. But bottom line is, to make the most money, because of how people value real estate in their minds, they keep demand high and supply low. They, they play with that all the time and they talk to each other all the time. And so what, what happens when you see a, uh, an economic crash coming is housing builders will stop building so that the demand builds up again. Because if, they have a, if you have a crash and you have a lot of homes coming on the market at this, to, to sell, you're going to get rock bottom prices. It's better to stop building and wait for the, the, the economy to correct and then sell the homes when they're at the higher, right? Why is this important, Larry? Because when people stop agreeing that the value of a home is 500,000, when the mass majority of people stop agreeing that that's what it's worth, that's when the crash happens. If the home builders had built it like a utility product, that wouldn't happen. If they built it and just went like, it costs 100 grand, I'm going to make a 100 grand profit, my houses are 200,000, I don't give a shit what the supply and demand is, or at least that's not the major factor driving my pricing, then we wouldn't see home prices fluctuate and crash so much because the ups and downs are based solely in the imagination of the people buying. That's where the value is. It's someone convinced a home buyer that this is what it was worth. But that's not the actual value. Well, or I should say all the value is opinion. That was the opinion. And then the opinion can change tomorrow or quote unquote the market could change tomorrow. And the opinion of the, the average person could say, no, I'm not paying $500,000 for a 3-2 home in Colorado when it only costs you $100,000 to build. Fuck off. I'll wait for the crash. 
which inevitably comes. Because the minds and the people have changed. The value in the minds of the people have changed. Hopefully that helps you understand real estate a little more. Last thing. How do we value services? How do we value services? A cleaning lady comes to your house, something you could do yourself. A cleaning lady comes to your house. How does she value her time? How does she set the price? And it doesn't have to be a lady. It could be a cleaning man. This is just this is expression. I'm not trying to get all gender about it. A cleaning person <laughs> comes to your house. How do, they, how do they set the price? Well, if we know all value is opinion based all of it is agreement all of it is subjective in the minds of the people and two people have to agree who sets the price on the service every service is the the values derived the exact same way in the mind of the person providing it the service provider sets the price And the service provider tries to convince you of the value or convince themselves. Do you ever wonder why two people could have the exact same service and have completely different prices? Because in the mind of each person, their value is different in their imagination. That's it. That's the only way you derive value on a service. Think about it. I want to go buy a cell phone. And of course we have an oligarchy because it's a, you know, it's a, uh, not a utility, but I guess it is a utility, yeah. So, I mean, you can't have too many fucking satellites, right? So you can't have too many wires in the ground or whatever. So you only have so many different service providers for, um, Internet and phone. But how do they set the price? You think it's got anything to do with the cost of their technicians? Maybe, but I doubt it. It's got everything to do with what they believe it's worth. Let's just keep it simple with the cleaning person for now. Let's say there's two identical cleaning people. They do the exact same level of cleaning. And they're both mom and pop. They both own their own thing. One charges 100 an hour, the other charges 75 an hour. Why is there a discrepancy? Because in the, in the mind and the imagination of one, they believe their value is more. That's it. That's the only way a value of a service is derived. The person providing the service sets the price. 
And that price is based completely in the mind of the service provider. This is what I think I'm worth. Now, they can try to convince you of their worth by comparing themselves to their competitors. They can try to convince you of the value of their service by go, you know, explaining all that it is they do, which is what a lot of them do. I'm going to do this, 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 and this for you, and it's only going to cost you this much. See? Or they listen to their heart. You see, I never, I never, ever try to convince anyone of my pricing. My heart sets the price and that's what it is. People who try to convince you that they're worth whatever price they've set for their service are lost in their unworthiness and not get enough story and are in desperation. Well, here's what I'm going to do for you. Well, this and this and this. Now you can communicate the benefits for sure. I mean, that's marketing and sales one-on-one. Here's the benefit of working with me. But to try to convince someone that your service is valuable based on the price, I, I never have to do that. Here's the price. Want it? Great. You don't want it? I'll find someone else who does. My heart set the price, so that's exactly what it needs to be. Well, can I, well, can you do it for half? Fuck no. Go away. I said my heart says the price, didn't I? Which means my heart would be have the one to tell me to, t- to reduce the price. Not you. I don't give a shit about your hard luck story. I honestly don't. Your hard luck story is your victim story. I eradicate people's victim story. And I do it right even before they fucking communicate with me. Here's my price. You got to get through a lot of your victim story bullshit before you can come hang out with me. Oh, there's so much scarcity and ah, no. Now I, I've suffered more than most. I, I mean, I guess it's a comparison. I've suffered a lot. I've suffered an absolute shit ton when it comes to money. So I get the victim story. I get that I don't have enough to work with you. I get all that shit, which is why I, I make this podcast. I do videos. I do all kinds of stuff for free. But when it comes to my time and my service, absolutely not. No one negotiates. Fuck no. Why would I waste my time? But think about it. Next time you go shopping for a service, how is the value derived? How did they set their price? How does it cost $10 for a plate of Chinese food from this place and $20 from the same exact food from over here? How did they derive their pricing? Oh, the cost of the the food. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of it, yeah. But I mean, or, you know, what's a true service like? Washing your car, something you could do yourself. 
why does it cost if you if you hired a detailer why does it cost them 100 bucks and the other guy 200 bucks or gal 200 bucks how do they derive value it's solely in the mind of the provider that's it solely in the mind of the provider whether they want to negotiate with you and try to convince you of the value is up to them but what that means is if you're providing a service you have to look at how you're deriving the value how are you setting your prices and if it's not coming from your heart where the fuck is it coming from How much time do you spend trying to convince people that you're worth what your, your prices are? How much time do you waste doing that? You let your heart set your price, you don't have to fucking never negotiate again. You just check in with your heart. Nope, this is what it is. Well, can you do it for this? Let me check in with my heart. Nope, can't do it. I hope something I've said has helped you here today understand value and how we value things and it's all in the imagination it's all agreement if you disagree you don't buy no one can take advantage of you no one can manipulate you if you agree then buy it and move on but always check in with your heart before you do anything check in your heart for everything I was having this discussion with one of my apprentices. And she was like, did you check in with your heart for that answer? I'm like, I'm always checking. What are you talking about? I'm com- I, ask it to, I, I ask it if I should wipe my ass. Well, that's a little bit too much. I ask it for what meal I should eat. I ask it everything. It blew her away because she was like, oh. You know, because you could tell she was only asking your heart things on big decisions. No, you have to get down to where you're, you're thinking completely with your heart for everything. Anyway, I hope something I've said has helped you here today. I appreciate you listening. I really do. These talks are so therapeutic for me. So if you get any benefit out of it, I'm happy. It's a win-win. You don't have to agree with me on everything, but if something helps, even a small piece, then that's awesome. Remember always, you're unconditionally loved at all times, no matter what. We are different waves on the same ocean, different leaves on the same tree. One heart, always said no. One family, same heart. Be well, be gentle with yourselves. I know it's hard sometimes. Being gentle with yourself just means letting yourself off the hook, forgiving yourself, babying yourself sometimes, not beating yourself up, being grateful that your heart is there and always there and communicates with you and is patient with you. And Just be gentle as you can. It, it helps. It helps. Be well. Good journey, my friends.